good evening, everyone. This is actually our first late night show. Well, for us, it's late night, I have to say. So welcome to the people who are coming on late night. And like I said, you never know when our show is going to be on. We never know which days we go with whatever our guests can come in at. Just make sure you're following the Facebook group and you can find out for sure. Yes, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And they will notify you probably about one minute after we go live. They usually have a little bit of a delay. And Twitch and Discord. Yes. So all over. And I have to say we're halfway through, kind of halfway through the month. (laughs) Tomorrow's Friday the 13th, so everybody's getting ready for all the horror stuff going on. Maybe we should have done this at midnight. (laughs) <laughs> everybody, oh, yeah. everybody come in your greatest Friday the 13th character or look or scare people you could have done like a Freddy Krueger outfit I've got, I've got some really long fingernails that costume that I could have pulled out or heck I just brought my chainsaw in oh there we go and then we could have had a, had a Friday the 13th meets Army of Darkness <laughs> well for us it would be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that works too yeah <laughs> It's all good until you hear the banjos play. <laughs> no, that's deliverance. I'm just saying. <laughs> same, same thing applies. Ban- ban- banjos are never a good thing in, in any kind of a horror film. Nope. Mm-mm. Not at all. Definitely not. But I have to say, welcome to our show. We're glad to have you here. It's, it's, it's nice of you to ask me to be here. And accommodating my schedule and my time. And definitely. And one of the things I would like to ask is, because I was noticing, I've read through your IMDb, what got you motivated to get started into the acting? Well, it goes, dates clear back to 1981, 1982. And a little bit of this on my website, uh, I'll give you a brief rundown. I was a professional traveling musician up until early 1982. I'd had an accident, an auto accident in late 1981. I was out of and laid up for about four months. I tried to go back to it in early 82. Had some further health medical complications from that accident that just didn't come around the way they should. And I was advised by more than one doctor and other important people that the traveling and everything was probably not going to be the best thing for me in my health. So Mm. what else could I do where I could perform, entertain? And some people suggested that, you know, my look and everything else, maybe I might want to try modeling, character modeling, not the runway fashion type thing, but print, (laughs) advertising, you know, whatever it might be, commercials. And so I moved to Chicago and started out pursuing that end of things, learned a little bit more about a different entertainment industry. And while I was taking some courses, uh, the people, one of the people I was working for with were doing a movie for American Playhouse, and they needed a lot of people for this one day of background extras and asked me if I just would go along and Back then, I mean, 1982, they offered all of $25 for however long you were there, plus lunch. And I thought, oh, hey, I might learn something. It could be fun. And while I was there, I kept my eyes and ears open. Uh, Somebody came up and asked the person in charge of all the extras and background who they hadn't seen. They needed another security guard because they've already seen and burned all the ones that they had and they couldn't have them be in two places at once. So I just got somebody's attention and said, Hey, maybe can I help you with that? I, they said, where have you been? I said, see that crowd over there? Yeah. At the back of that. And that was all it took. I said, fine, take them to wardrobe, make him a security guard and then bring them up to set. Next thing I knew I'm standing, not the back of that group, but I'm standing literally in front of the camera opposite the principals and well, actually, in this particular case, the camera was over my shoulder looking onto the principals. And we did the scene. I started to leave and they said, do you mind standing in for yourself? Standing I had no idea what they were talking about, which meant what they needed me to do was stand there 
exactly as I had been while they turned the camera to the other position, shooting over the principal's shoulder at me. So my very first movie I was ever in, ever asked to be in, it's the old Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. It was me by myself on camera, having gone there just to be a, a blip in a crowd way in the back. Now all those people are looking up at me saying, okay, who's he? So and right place, right time. time. And paying attention. Mm -hmm. Paying attention to what goes on around. Uh, you never yeah. know. Uh, that's when I first met Dennis Farina. Mm -hmm. He was also in that movie. Because he came from Chicago as well. So Very what nice. was your first like, that, full costume character person that you did? The first full costume character that I did, you know, like in the monster sci-fi creature world. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't actually a monster. It was Mr. Spock. Really? Uh, full costume. I had to put on my own ears. I had to, I developed my own makeup for my own ears, styled my hair, made my eyebrows the way they were supposed to look for a live stage show in Dallas when I was living down there for what was then Oracle Software Company. They were doing a promotion for their new networking software. And so to the far right of the uh, front stages, we had three stages up front, a left stage, right stage, and center stage. On far right stage was three uh, astronauts, two cosmonauts and an American. On stage, far stage left, you had characters from Star Wars. And center stage, of course, Star Trek. Star Trek with with Kirk Uhura and Spock and uh, the guy we had playing Kirk was really good a friend of mine from Dallas looked very much like Kirk we were able to and he agreed to do it and then uh, we had a nice young gal that played Uhura and then I was playing Spock I had uh, it was really a great little bit part you know doing this live show and Spock actually had a moment of emotion because it was logical. And uh, that was it. And, you know, in the end, there was this jingle that they wanted us all to sing as we walked off stage into the conference audience, which was numbered probably well over 1,000, 1,500 people and, you know, just like a big convention center. And we're walking down through the aisle singing this little ditty that they'd written about Oracle software and networking. And more than a half, more than a handful of people actually reached up to see if my ears were real. <laughs> and I did not do it. And I did not even at that point, uh, I didn't even do it like the latex prosthetics that they were using for Leonard in Star Trek at one point where they just have to glue the edges on the rest of I actually took nose and scar putty with some white fibrous material and molded it all together and actually molded right on top of my ears. Wow. The, Vul the Vulcan ears and they were glued on and they were solid and they Very had nice. just a little bit of texture to them. So when anybody touched me, they thought I heard a couple say, my God, they're real. <laughs> I was walking into my breath saying, Oh, if they only knew, but it was fun. It was a good learning experience for me. Uh, live show, live stage, as well as, you know, doing my own makeup, having knowledge to do that. Um, but then, yeah, it wasn't until uh, I was into Alien. I got called to do Alien Nation when I was in L.A. that I actually was in a full-blown uh, alien type of makeup with the tank knees with the full head and costuming and everything else. Very nice. So when you did that in going live on stage and then alienation. Did you expect that you would actually have the Guinness book of world records <laughs> after that? <laughs> that thought that see now that in Dallas, that was in the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Uh, I'm sorry, mid to late eighties, excuse me, mid to late eighties. And the first thing I ever did on uh, Babylon five and alien nation, that was early nineties to mid nineties. No, I had no clue. <laughs> you know, I never even thought when I was portraying Spock that later in my career, I'd actually be working with Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a different thing. It was not on Star Trek or anything. I was actually working with him when he was the star of 
one of uh, Bruno Mars music videos called the lazy song. And it was reading a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to work on. I, it was, it it was a real pleasure meeting him behind the cameras, you know, in his own way, even though it was later in his career. Uh, But I'm sorry, I got sidetracked Uh, mid nineties. But no, never thought about the Guinness world record until literally the mid two thousands. I'd had one, gentleman friend who's a director and producer kept asking how many have you done you've probably done more than anyone i said i don't think so i don't know but by the time i finished the babylon 5 series and was already still in the middle of deep space nine and uh voyager i started thinking to myself well what if i should just go add them up and see what i've got because i kept all my work records so i did i i started pulling them out and i got an excel spreadsheet out this was around 2007 I got a spreadsheet out, uh, designed it up, started pulling all my records, all my videotapes. Yes, clear back then, folks, videotapes. Had a few DVDs and started researching. And it was, I ended up with over 400 lines on that Excel sheet before I finished uh, at that current time. And that was 2010. 2000 and just before 2011, it was about three full years that I spent compiling all of this to their, to their satisfaction. And again, I had actually looked up online and I actually wrote to Guinness world records and asked them, you know, do you have a record for this that I could look at? And they said, they wrote back eventually and said, no, we, uh, we don't have a category like that. Would you please submit? I'd be happy to. How? And they said, we'll get back to you in about six weeks with all, because it was a new category. And then they had to get all their legal department together and send me all the criteria. Meanwhile, I was just compiling everything I could and clear down to the point where based on videotape timelines and sometimes DVD timelines, the character I was, a photo of what I was, uh, what the scene was, and the, uh, the time code as close as possible to where they could find it when they want to go back and verify it. They also wanted me to send in two letters of verification from independent parties that would not benefit from this to verify what I was doing. And that these all really were me well over a 15 year span from the nineties, eighties, nineties, and two thousands, it would be impossible for two individuals to know all of them. So I actually ended up sending in like 12 or 13, letters of uh, affirmation to what I had done from makeup artists to wardrobe people to assistant directors, directors, uh, everything. I just saw a question pop up on there. I believe it from somebody about Blades of Glory. Yes. How was Blades of Glory? It was fun. I had a grand time on that. Uh, Again, I can't stress more to people who want to be in this industry. You've got to make friends. It's like any other business, be loyal. Uh, They're going to be the ones that are going to, shall we say, open doors for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everybody gets somewhere because someone opened a door for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though you may not actually believe it's so straightforward as that. But, I mean, even when you go knock, you go knock on a door just for an interview, somebody opens the door for you. Well, Knowing some assistant directors and this one who was working on the movie Blaze of Glory uh, asked, you know, for me through casting. And when I got to the show that day, the first thing he came up to me, this was just supposed to be a a regular bit, what I call a bit part featured, no lines, um, but character, very character, because this was comedy and everything. And so... uh, First thing happens when I pull up into the parking lot and I get there and the assistant director that I knew came out. He says, you've got your resume and your portfolio and everything with you like you always have, don't you? I said, yes. He says, I need a headshot and a resume. They've got something I think they want you to use, they want to use you for. Nice. And so next thing I, I knew later on in the day, that's where these people saw me is in the uh, addiction circle, whatever you want to call it, you know, and uh, for the sex addicts. And I just have to say, hello to who's coming through the door. And that's, they just wanted some of that. They wanted two of us doing that. So it looked very friendly. 
It was just literally on the spur of the moment. That's what we call an upgrade. And I'm still getting my residual checks from it to this day. So, so it was a great day. Do you have an actual count of how many characters you've played through the years? Actually, over and above the world record? Yeah. Over and above the world record, no. Uh, the world record, of course, being 202 different special effect makeup characters. Mm -hmm. That's the ones that counted. Mm -hmm. Since then, if my unofficial count of over and above that is somewhere around 220. Wow. Wow. I slowed down a lot after the mid 2000s. So and is some there, of the shows went away. I'm sorry, Say again? Is, is there one particular character that stood out to you as like your favorite? Oh, yes. It, 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 it's, it's the same one every time. And believe it or not, it's not sci fi. Which uh, one is it? A classic universal monster. I've played three of them. Uh, Can you guess? Frankenstein? Very good. Give that man a gold star. Nice. <laughs> well, in this case, in this case a green alien head. <laughs> um, my favorite one that I've ever been able, character that I've been able to play like that is Frankenstein's monster, we call him. Frankenstein mm. was the scientist. Was a scientist. And technically, the character was only known as the monster. But in today's day, we, we refer to him as Frankenstein's monster. Which actually and, makes sense with the movie the, or the TV show, The Monsters. <laughs> and that's exactly why it's so special to me. The backstory to this, um, the makeup artists that were hired to do this particular project were from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And so they approached me, one other gentleman that works on worked on Star Trek to play uh, Dracula. And then they asked me if I knew anybody that could play Wolfman, and I knew a perfect gentleman that I was working with on Babylon 5, and I asked him if he'd like to come and do that. And he said, sure, why not? Sounds like fun. And, of course, who do you think we got to work with <laughs> in the monster world and horror? Oh, I, I can't. My I, it's too late right for now. my brain to be working. <laughs> Always wears the big, long black dress and has a lot up front. Elvira. Elvira. Oh, Okay. Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra Peterson. Wonderful, wonderful lady. Beautiful to work with. We had two and a half days of shooting this four and a half minute video that was specially written and designed to show as a pre-show for her House of Superstition during the Halloween stuff, what they do, did with her at Six Flags and some other places. Like before you go into the main attraction, you always have that pre-show where the audience gathers. So this was that four and a half minute pre-show where I play Frankenstein's monster. Now I get to the good part. I mean, Elvira is a good part. Don't get me wrong, but there's another <laughs> good part to this. I was privileged. Our, our stylist for this project came from Universal Studios. She got permission to bring for me to wear the original costume that Fred Gwynn wore on the Munsters. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. So I was actually getting to wear a piece of classic TV costume history as Frankenstein's monster came from the place that originated Frankenstein's monster, Universal Studios. Very cool. That will always, in its own way, be a very, very big favorite for me to have well, that kind of an honor. Fun fact, my real name is Cassandra Joy Peterson. <laughs> ah, how about that? Well, I know a few other CJs, but that's not what it stood for. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when we were at CypherCon in April, we had a, I guess, a radio or another podcast that we interviewed that actually had Cassandra Peterson on, and they had a story about her as well. So mm -hmm. she's been mentioned a couple of times on our show, so we might have to look something up on that. That'd be yeah. funny. <laughs> Cassandra Peterson's on the same one. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I, I actually yeah. got to see her again later on, several years down the road at the San Diego Comic-Con. And I actually had a magazine that was for her and everything else that I took and gave to her. She said, no, let me just sign and give it to you. I've already got this one. <laughs> She's a collector of her own stuff, too. Did Was there any kind of a follow-up for that user that was asking about Blaze of Glory? Did uh, we satisfy? Uh, it was satisfied. Did you satisfy uh, okay. your answer? How long, How long did it take? Yes. Yes. At, 
on your very first day, it can take five and a half hours. Goodness. From, from beginning to end. That's that's not just the makeup, but that's all the prosthetics, getting into the costume and being camera ready. So wow. if the crew call, for example, is 7 a.m., what time does that mean we have to be there ready to go? 2 a.m. Do your math. 1.30 in the morning. Oh, At a real time. Seven, time. So, yeah. One, 1 1.30 in the morning if we have to be on set at 7 a.m. Mm. I did that once on Alien Nation as well, but that was a whole different story and a different setup. It's Alien Nation only took about three hours total. Now, but I had to be there at one. I had to be there at one o'clock in the morning for seven a.m. because they had three rounds of aliens to do that day. Wow, it was such good a big call. Grief. But yeah, no, the Borg was is very interesting in itself. The makeup and everything. Uh, it it really does take a while. You've got to put on the bald cap and all these other things before you get to the actual Borg prosthetics. And then eventually when all that is done, it can take anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes just to get into the costume uh, to make sure everything stays where it's supposed to be. You have to put on a latex suit, then that gets powdered down, and then it takes two wardrobe people to stretch the rubberized vinyl suit over that and, sometimes just inches at a time because it has to fit so snug. And then the zipper is hidden on the side where you're not going to see it. Then the prosthetic arm has to be fitted and put on properly and, and, lo and locked in. And then the eye piece has to be put on uh, mm. and powered up. And wow. so there's lots of little things to go, but I'll tell you what, what you also have to plan. And this goes back even into Babylon five days and early Star Trek when people and some costume departments forgot. What about bathroom breaks? I was honestly yes. literally just thinking that because I have a teeny weeny bladder and I'm just like, <laughs> my luck is I'd get in there and I'd have to go. <laughs> yeah, you do need luck. to plan ahead. And you do, fortunately, because you do sweat so much in those costumes that uh, here's the shall we say, eh, not so nice part of this. We're in the costumes from the time we get into them before we roll camera until lunch. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you haven't done a whole lot that you need to get out of that costume for a bathroom or anything like that. But when you go to lunch, yes, we do get to get out of the costumes they turn them upside down and the sweat just runs out like a river from your feet because it's it, the feet are included in the costume with the mm. boots. Ew. So, yeah, I mean, literally after a few hours, you're standing in sweat inside the costume. It would be That's like walking right. through a swamp. Yeah. I cannot but, imagine the smell. It would just be. Actually, it's no, there's no smell. It's clean sweat. Oh. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're, if you're a good character <laughs> if you're a good character actor you're a good actor in itself plan you've you know part of the expression showered and shaved and done all that good stuff before you get to set so everything's fresh that's a lot that's another question i get a lot about is my own preparation before i get to the set and sit in that makeup chair so that everything works so well and that's another that's another part all in itself but with the borg yeah no the sweat doesn't smell it's it's just you know, the thought of the fact that you've been standing in your own fluids, you know, for a couple of hours until you finally get out of the suit. The suit dries out during lunch and you go back and do it all over again for the afternoon's work. I hope they gave you hazard pay for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got we always the Borg always got was one of the highest paid character aliens to play on Star Trek. I know well, one gentleman in the movie First Contact where they first encounter the Borg and everything. In the movie, uh, and a thirty and a thirty days worth of shooting that they used the Borg. That gentleman back, I guess that would have been early, early two thousands. I can't remember the, when first contact was released, but uh, might have been late nineties. Uh, that he made over thirty grand in one month playing oh, a Borg. Wow. Playing a Borg. I think I'd make a good Borg. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot. A lot of people. I 
there were a lot of people in Hollywood that knew what I was doing. Just like, can't you get me on Star Trek? Can't you get me on Star Trek? I said, why? I said, because you guys make the most money. I said, well, okay, that's great. Why would I want the competition? <laughs> uh, see, I would want you because I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm the cosplay <laughs> behind Greg's head. That's me. <laughs> Here, I'll move. There you go. <laughs> but was there another follow-up from that person on the board costume? No, I no I but good. I actually had one. Okay. What is the longest time that it's taken you to be into a costume? The makeup and the prosthetics. Is it the Borg or is there one that's been longer? Yeah, it was actually a it was actually a toss up between the Borg and Frankenstein's monster. Which doesn't yeah. even compare to Jim Carrey when he was doing the Grinch. No. Because they yeah. had a lot of that. The first days of doing him were ten to twelve hours of makeup to get him camera ready. And they'd shoot for a couple of hours, and it was time for him to start getting out of it. Now, they eventually, the more he did it, they had that down to like six to eight hours, uh, from what I heard. I was, not on that, I was not on that project, so I don't know exacts on, on what they did. But, I mean, this, um, yeah, there are really? some that can take – I'm not even sure how long Doug Jones took when he was doing uh, – uh, what was it? Something of the water. Something of water. I can't, uh, can't say the title of the movie now. But he was okay. the creature in the water and won and won a lot of Academy Awards. The swamp so, thing. The, when do you guys uh, sleep when you've got these costume times? That we, you know, if we have a chance, we just lay down somewhere on a on a set near where we need to be, and just relax. Other times, we if we can, we take the costume heads off, uh, and we just sit in the chair and and relax. Wow. Very nice. Hi, Julie. It's, it's, I mean, we actually met a makeup artist that we're actually going to have on our show, but I mean, the difference, I mean, the person doing the makeup has also got to be there. And I know they're standing and doing a lot and you get to sit down. Do you actually rest while they're putting the makeup on? Are you able to? Well, you know, as far as the makeup from the neck up or even from the chest up, yeah, we're sitting in a director's type chair. Although I knew I knew one makeup artist years ago on Star Trek. He actually had an old barber chair up there so the actor could actually rest his head back. And if he fell asleep, it would be okay because his head would be wedged between the two uh, headrests. That's smart. Uh, and that makeup artist worked fine with that. He had a lot of older actors that would just need their nap early in the morning because we'd have to be up so early to get to set. Uh, but no, I always had just a director's chair and we'd work for anywhere from half hour to an hour and a half at a time before we might take a short break and then go back and finish it. Um, I unfortunately did every once in a while get makeup artists who just were chain smokers. And since they weren't allowed to smoke in the makeup room areas, we'd always take a break every 25, 30 minutes. They'd go out, you know, puff on a few, you know, five minutes later, they were back upstairs and we were back at it. Now, the other thing that I'd like to ask with that is, uh, what about any, I know you probably haven't had any, but have you seen people that maybe have had allergic reactions to the makeup? Oh, yes. A lot of people don't think about that. Have you now, had any? Or? I have never, no, I've not had any reactions. That's one of the reasons I was lucky enough and could work so much. I would work day after day. Um, and a part of that was, again, going back, if we ever get back to this topic about my preparation. But there are many actors that have had severe allergic reactions to the prosthetics, the process. It could be the glue. It could be the latex. Uh, it could even be the remover. Now, I do have, I already knew about an allergic uh, skin reaction that I would have to one of the makeup removers. Oddly enough, it's the one everybody else can use and have no problem with it. So they always had to have, a, they always had a special makeup remover. Uh, with my name on it in the makeup room and said, this is what we use for Bill. And um, it's a, it's a little bit more dangerous. And we talk about this when I'm at conventions and the convention um, books, my makeup artist with me, and we actually do a live makeup demonstration for the audience as one of the panels. Um, and it's very lengthy. It can take two, three hours. Uh, but we talk about these things. And uh, specifically we have one story about a uh, gentleman who had no clue 
And he went through the whole day, you know, being a trooper. And when he took it off, his face was full. I mean, you'd think he had three layers of measles all over his face. Mm. He was broken out so badly. Um, there are others who, uh, who think they know everything and they get glue put on full strength, you know, because they say, you know, it's going to come off if, if we don't do this. I had one makeup artist on Star Trek who thought he knew more than I did. And makeup artists should know more than me. But if it's the first time working with me, a makeup artist should know, you know, if the actor's been around, listen to them and uh, try to work with them. It's, it's a team thing. But this mm -hmm. gentleman, he just, even though I'd worked with him earlier on in another show, he still, whatever he wanted to do, and he put full strength adhesive on my face and on my skin, where I normally only use a 25% solution. Not half, but 25%. It took two makeup artists. And instead of one makeup artist taking like maybe a half hour to take my makeup off, after this time and after this full strength adhesive, it took two girls, two makeup artists, 45 minutes to get me out of makeup. Because every wow. time they got a piece to release, the moment they'd let go of it by accident would be right back down on my skin and they have to... Um, unglue it all over again mm. one person actually ended up having to hold the piece off while they continued to work on the rest of it until it all would come off by itself there's uh, it's, it, yeah it's this is an industry the makeup is a the makeup artists are entrusted with a lot of serious and dangerous chemicals that they're putting on the actor's skin and there is a lot that needs to be considered for that. And that's, again, Michael Westmore on Star Trek was no more aware of that than anyone I've ever met. Um, there were makeup artists that would come in strictly for cleanup at the end of the night because we'd run so many hours who put me in the makeup in the morning, couldn't work that many hours and still come back the next morning to put me in the makeup again. So I'd get a different makeup artist at the end of the evening to clean me up. Some of those were because they weren't skilled enough to apply at the time and others um, they might work another job during the day and then come in and moonlight and take us, you know, get this job at night and take us out of makeup. But there was a time when two makeup artists tried to remove my makeup, shall we say too quickly. And one of the things that we use for removing makeup is 99% pure alcohol. Not the 70% or the 91% you see at your local drugstores for cleaning and, and sanitizing. No, this is 99%. And one time, I one of the makeup artists was working on the left side of my face. Another was working on the right front of my face. And they weren't communicating. And I, at that point, had my mouth closed. But it wasn't enough. And when the person on my left was working and pushed my head a little bit too hard, and my face, I did a little bit of this. The person was working around my mouth and a brush full of that 99% alcohol went right in my mouth. Mm. It's like a true poison. Gagging for about 10 minutes, rinsing my mouth, rinsing, 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 until fortunately it didn't burn. I had no ill effects from it because I recognized what had happened right away. It was like the moment that happened, it was like I was out of that chair and over to the wash station to cleanse my and cleanse my mouth and get that out of there. I reported it later. Everybody in the makeup room knew what had happened by that point. And I reported it to Mr. Westmore and I never saw those two people back again. Mm. So you can't take those kinds of risks with people. So we've heard some horror stories. What about some funny stories? Have there been funny <laughs> stories? <for years? laughs> the the it's always about, uh, uh, no, there's there's some good stories too. Um, one on one on Star Trek. Here's a fun one. I'm known for playing all the aliens and everything on Star Trek. Did you know that I actually appeared in an episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine as myself as a Starfleet officer? No, I didn't. That I did not know. It was in the fourth or fifth season during the during the series that included uh, Rocks and Shoals during the. Uh, Cardassian, Jemadar, wars and everything. Mm -hmm. And 
I was working the day on one day and we were getting near the end of the day and the director and the assistant director were talking and they said, you know, we need another uh, crewman Starfleet on board this ship that, you know, Cisco and every, and Dax and Garrick were taking back to the Jemadar homeworld uh, secretly. And uh, they talked for a few minutes and the assistant director said, as I walked out, I said, why don't we use Bill? We'll never see his face again anyways. Because <laughs> they didn't want camera. <laughs> yeah. They didn't they did not want to lose one of the regular Starfleet because everything is custom fit for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so it was economical for them to find one that would fit me, use me one day, and never have to see me again. And then they could go back, that costume could go back to who it belonged. Cool. So Very that was true. that's one of the fun stories. And it actually got me an extra day of work that I might not have had because then the the following days, I for the rest of the scenes in that episode, I go back and I'm playing a Klingon. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, sometimes again, like from the beginning, being in the right place at the right time, having a certain reputation, uh, working with these folks, and people will think of their friends before they will strangers. Uh, True. I, I got the I had the privilege of being in the scene on Star Trek Voyager, which was uh, it was originally titled the arena. Then it had and then it, they changed it to a, an oriental uh, type title Tuscan Sami. I can't I never could pronounce it, but it's the first time we ever see Dwayne Johnson outside WWE on television like this. And he was he was the combatant to seven of nine in this scene. And again, I'm one of the ones that they uh, put in that scene uh, right with the principal actors and everything, knowing that, you know, this is the guy that's going to give us the kind of reactions we need when we're, we're not going to have somebody s just sitting on their hands and being a deadbeat when these people are carrying on dialogue. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. It's really fun to be recognized and a part of these iconic moments in uh, TV history whether it's Star Trek or anything else. I'm Babylon 5. watching Star Trek Voyager yeah. right now. Yeah. So I'm going uh, through Voyager. I had on Babylon, I haven't talked much about Babylon 5. Uh, wonderful times on that. If anybody has um, the, the movie in the beginning or, uh, yep, there's one of them where I played the Burkiri Priest. Um, <laughs> it was uh, the commentary on the DVD uh, with, the, it was either in the, in the beginning or third space, uh, third space, I think one of the two, but I think in the beginning and uh, the director, Bruce Boxleitner and Patricia Tallman, I believe were doing the uh, commentary behind the scenes of the DVD. And there's a scene of which I'm playing a bartender in the Zocalo. And the commentary behind that is they recognize as me and they, they, they pay me a nice compliment saying he always made so many great aliens. You never knew which one he was going to be the next day. And what's fun from that is there's actually days on Babylon 5. I play two different aliens in the same day's work. I would go in the morning, get there at 530 in the morning. I get made up, for example, as a Minbari or a Narn. Go to lunch, get cleaned up. In the afternoon, I'd be a different alien. Wow. Wow. I didn't get two checks for it, but I got two adjustments because I <laughs> went through makeup twice, but it, it's fun. And, it, and it's great. You know, when the people you're working with, you're, you're not the star, you're, you're not in the top billing. You're not even in the end credits, but all of those people that recognize the fact that, Hey, these are the people that make us look good up front. And, um, we had several directors on Babylon five that I got to work with also over on star Trek. And that, and again, those are the fun things that they had originally met me on Babylon five. When I was over on star Trek, that director comes forward and says, I want you to do this. He doesn't even ask around the assistant directors or anything about, uh, I need somebody to do this. The director just walks right up to and says, I want bill to do this. This is the character. This is where I want him in the scene. I want him to play this particular character, which is why on Voyager, I ended up being uh, the solo specific uh, armed guard of Neelix in one episode. Um, I think the episode was Friendship One, but I'm not 100% I'm sure of that. Um, 
but yeah, there was a lot of those. And, and so those are the good stories. I got to I interview. Tell, let me sure. tell you the one where I ran into the wall because I couldn't see. <laughs> where was that and who were you? I was on I was on Babylon 5 and I was playing a Pac-Moran in this scene. But it was the mechanical version, which means we had no eyes. All I had was a couple of pinholes at inside each raw opposite side bridge of my nose. So each eye had a little bit of light coming through. So I knew, you know, at least what direction I was facing. But during the scene, I have to turn with a group of people and walk down the hallway, the aisle, the, um, aisle and turn right. And they gave me my time. I requested, you know, so I could count off my steps to know when I had to turn right. And everything was fine until we rolled cameras. I don't know what happened. I lost count of my steps. I didn't turn when I should, and I walked right into the back wall of the corridor. Ooh. Sure, that they made cut. the blooper reel. Yeah, that I don't know if it did or not, but they. <laughs> what there is one that did make the blooper reel from a different episode that I was in. But yeah, everybody stops. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Sorry, that one's on me. Let's go back. Let me count these again. We did <laughs> next time. I was fine, but it was very specific because. All the mechanics for the mechanical head, the battery pack and everything, were coming out the back of my head, and we could not let that be seen on camera, obviously. So I had to kind of do a little dance step with one of my actor cohorts in the same scene. So we did a little do -si do So as I turned, he got between me and the camera blocking the back of my head. And it worked perfectly until I forgot the number of steps I was taking. <laughs> Oh man, I I can actually picture me doing something like that too. I mean, it's when they said, "Are you okay?" I said, "For I basically said I'm fine, but what about the head?" I was worried <laughs> that I'd damage some of the the mechanics and the battery or anything else, and uh, because it was also a very dangerous thing to wear in the times, because the mechanics of the uh, animatronic head were basically a remote-controlled race car that had been cannibalized and all the parts just embedded inside the latex of the head, which meant some of those gears were no more than an inch or so at most from my eyes. Oh, wow. So I had, except when we were not rolling, as soon as everything started up, I had to close my eyes. So if any of those gears let loose, at least I had some protection. Wow. <clears throat> Well, so again, we made a lot of money when we did. We got what we called hazard pay for things like that, like a stunt person would get. Mm -hmm. Well, definitely want to put up a couple more pictures here. Sure. Especially there's the Cardassian that was taken on the second level of the promenade at Deep Space Nine. How long did that one take to get into costume? The Cardassians are three and a half hours. Wow. Wow. And that includes all the costume and everything. Hmm. That is known as a Westmore alien. That I played more of than anything else. We actually numbered them as I went down through uh, my Guinness World Record. I had to actually number them. Uh, but everything, the, let me start over. Deep Space Nine is like a way station, a place where people are always passing through. And <laughs> Michael Westmore and the producers knew up front if all we see are Cardassians and Jemadars and Breens and uh, Klingons, that's going to look very, very unnatural. When you walk through an airport, you see people from all around the world, in this case, what would be all around the universe. So every different race that came in that had to be made up was a Westmore alien. And they were made up literally on the day, the night before, uh, Mr. Westmore and whoever the makeup artist was going to be for me the next day would get together and say, okay, let, you know, they just pull scraps a lot of times out of the box that were left mm -hmm. over from molds and everything of other prosthetics. Other times they'd go back to next generation and they'd pull something out. Um, you can actually go online at, to my website and you can actually see some of the other pictures. There's a specific one where they actually took, uh, do you remember the in next generation Moog? who was at Starfleet Academy test with mm -hmm. Wesley Crusher. Yep. They pulled mm -hmm. out a portion of his makeup, put that on me, left off the breather tube and changed the color of it. And, and in one case added like catfish whiskers to me. 
So these are what we would call Westmore aliens. It was just a mishmash of all sorts of other creatures. Uh, there's another one. Uh, we refer to it as snot nose. It's blue, very long tentacles hanging down from the nose. If you find that one, it's also on my website. If you were to go look it up, you would actually look at it closely. If you were to turn the photo upside down, you'd actually realize that my chin area is an upside down Ferengi nose. Huh. Oh, wow. And I have Very a lot of fun. Sometimes we do little games and quizzes at the conventions where I give things away. If people can guess what other alien this part belongs to. <laughs> we never actually did that. We never actually did that type of thing on Babylon five because it was a closed station for the most part. But mm -hmm. yeah, on deep space nine, I played a couple of dozen different Westmore aliens from time to time. <laughs> what is your favorite prop you own from a movie? Um, I actually don't have specific props from any of the movies or TV shows, but I actually still have the uh, original prosthetics that I wore on Babylon 5 and on Star Trek uh, from the different episodes, whether it's a Minbari headpiece, Minbari uh, ears. Uh, I've got a Burkiri face piece from when I was a Burkiri priest. I've got Klingon uh, nose pieces, Cardassian uh, nose pieces. Uh, I've got a, um, what is the, oh, wait a minute. I can't say I have the, I can't say I have the Cardassian nose anymore because it eventually, it finally dried up after 20 years and went back to its powder form. <laughs> it was so thin to start with. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the only actual, pro if you want to call those props, but they're really makeup prosthetics from the shows. I was not one that ever was, um, had access two props that I could keep. I so no phasers, no communicators, you know, none of that type of stuff for me. Now, I think I saw that you are also on Enterprise. I did do a handful of episodes on the Enterprise, primarily as a Vul of one version of Vulcan or another. Uh, I did, again, and again, in one of the last episodes of Enterprise, I was actually a Starfleet officer again. And in one episode, I was a homeless alien out in the middle of the streets. <laughs> Nighttime scene we shot out back at Paramount. That was a that was a fun night. Lots of you know atmospheric smoke around the streets and the wetness and the garbage cans and everything else. It was it was uh, it was cold, but it was still fun. And again, a lot of these episodes I got requested specifically because of the director that was doing the episode. He wanted to make sure I was there for him. Uh, so, yeah, I did not have a lot of speaking roles, if any, really, uh, on Babylon 5 or Star Trek or Alien Nation, a lot of these shows. I specialized in the non-speaking, creating characters for these directors and producers that would be believable, um, that would be featured in many, many ways. We can take another example away from sci-fi, uh, the show NCIS. Mm-hmm. I love NCIS. That's one of my I was an episode back in, in the sixth season. Um, the show opens on a home invasion condo, actually, home invasion robbery, right at the top of the show. And I actually have my own stuntman who gets blown away. And then the stuntman leaves, and I go in, and I'm the dead guy on the floor with no fingerprints. And they're trying to figure out who he is. Now, the backstory of this is how I actually ended up getting this role. The director interviewed, I think it was four or five or six people to be this particular character. And since I knew at some point they were going to be doing a head cast of this character to put on the autopsy bo body for them to show the autopsy room, but still had to see the head. I took not, and they said, you also need to show a picture of you 20 years younger. It was specifically for scene in the show. And so I decided, I always have kept a lot of headshots and everything. So I took a couple of my really old headshots from my days in Chicago and Dallas. Along with that, I took a couple of, of my eight by tens of a Cardassian and Klingon 
And apparently this director is a bit of a sci-fi Star Trek fan. And when she saw what I could do, it was like hands down. Okay, yeah, he's it. <laughs> he, he can handle having the head cast made. He can handle holding still for a long time, dead on the floor. And uh, again, no lines, highly featured, actual character name. and um, But it was also a one and done because obviously very recognizable. But the reason they needed the 20-year-old picture was once the NCIS team you know, got all their stuff together and their computers and their suspects, they were able to find, they took my old picture and morphed it into the character that was the robber, which was me, older. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, did you ever think, I, did you ever think when you so were yeah. younger that you would be getting paid for not saying a single word and having fun on TV? No, <laughs> not at all. No. I mean, that's <laughs> why I said, you know, people say, but what did you do to learn to, you know, to do all this? I said, well, first thing was, as a child, I sat in front of the TV watching cartoons for hours on end without moving. <laughs> so I, I learned how to sit still for long periods of time, even when I was a child, not even thinking about these things. When I was a young child, yeah, I was watching wrestling on TV and, and some of these other things. I watched Star Trek when it first came on uh, back in 1965, 66. Uh, not knowing I'd ever, I never worked with William Shatner on Star Trek, but I worked with him twice right. on uh, Boston Legal hmm. when I played a, a Supreme Court judge. I was going to say, and, I forgot he was on, yeah, yeah, Boston Legal. That's, you know, you end up working with some of these people in the, in the most different places. Uh, from Next Generation, uh, yeah, I was on, you know, I was never on that show. People ask me, what'd you do in Next Generation? I interviewed for Next Generation a half a dozen times, never got picked. It wasn't until one night I got a call from Cassie and said, we had a Klingon just backed out on us. You're the right size. I'm just going to send you in this place. I'm not even going to tell them. <laughs> and I went in the next day and I was lucky. I just won everybody over. And for those that are interested and ask me otherwise, how do you get into this business? And I mentioned about friends, loyalty and connections. There was a movie called Argo. Mm -hmm. Not too long ago, about 10 years ago, won the, won the Oscar for Best Picture of yes. the Year. Mm -hmm. I got an online text message from a gal I worked with who was our ward, one of our wardrobe gals on Deep Space Nine. She was assisting the makeup design or the costume designer for this movie called Argo. And there was going to be a robot in it. In the, in the fake movie Argo. And she texted me and said, if you're available, would you be interested in uh, playing a robot on this movie that I'm working on? I said, sure, why not? It's fun. I'd love to see you again. And so the next thing I know, I got a call and they said, yeah, uh, they want to meet you. I went over. The meeting took less than two minutes and they said, okay, take them to the costume shop. So down the street we went. I was costumed. And that role turned into a speaking role. Wow. Uh, they just, they didn't want to tell us up front. They didn't know what it would work, how it was going to work out, but it was just great. And so two days that I was on that uh, show and the second day I had the speaking lines uh, again, still making money on my residuals from it, but it was a situation. Where no, no audition process whatsoever. Just somebody mm -hmm. completely behind the scenes on crew mentions my name to somebody that they've worked with and boom, I get the part. Now I'm fixing to pull up the one picture that we talked about before we started the show. Okay. And it's actually one that you made mm -hmm. and you wear that at conventions. I have worn that at special events. Um, special when I when I do personal appearances, like sometimes I've even worn it on the red carpet when I show up, and people don't even know who I am. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. Wasn't there um, a character a long time ago, the unknown comic, that no one really knew who he was yeah. or what he really looked like? Uh -huh. <laughs> I like you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've been asked a couple of times to wear that one. I actually wore it in a movie called "I Wish You Were Here." Uh, number of years back, Chloe uh, King was in it. Mm 
a young girl at the time. And uh, there was a whole, again, it was a spoof on Comic-Con. And there was supposed to be a whole flash mob of cosplayers. And so they hired, the casting people hired me to be the team captain of the cosplayers. I wore that costume. I had a, had a scene uh, with the gentleman in another robot costume uh, up front before everybody turns into this flash mob and starts marching across the floor. And that was it. But it was, again, they recognized I had this costume and they knew what I'd done in the past. They said, great, excellent. We want to use you for this. Um, and that's and that's where it goes. Uh, he wants to know if you're the stick. If I'm what? I didn't quite see that. The stick. I guess I'm a loss. I don't know what the stig is. Which show is Am I that? too old? Uh, well, the one that I'm thinking about is the one that no one ever... I know it's it was the car always show, a talk like and roll. But the one with... Uh, oh, man, now I can't think of his it's name. It's a car show. There's three guys that are on it, and then Stig's the one that's their stunt driver. But nobody's ever seen his face because he always has a helmet on. No, that's uh, doesn't ring a bell with me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking of home improvement. No. Wilson, always over the fence. Wilson's oh, over like the fence, yeah. You, <laughs> you never know who he is until the show wraps. Mm -hmm. What was yeah. it? It was in Top Gear is where the stick is. In what? Top, Top Gear. Gear. No. Now, no, with all this, all this being said and done, what about conventions? Because I do know that you've been to some conventions. Or do you have any coming up that you can tell us about? Do you looking for any? I am always a lot of. We do have a lot of convention runners that watch the show. Yeah, no, I'm always open to convention invitations. Um, I have a few agents out there that uh, will help with that, but um, in the past, almost all my convention appearances has just been direct contact with me. You can contact me through alienactor.com. You can email me directly at uh, either I do aliens at AOL.com or bill at alienactor.com. Um, if you really even have trouble with that, just Google me, Bill Blair actor. And uh, I'll just come up all over the internet. Uh, unlike the police chief in Toronto who has my same name, nobody's after me like that. So, <laughs> but you have to put the word actor. Have to put the word actor after if you want to narrow the search results down. Uh, but yeah, it, just contact me. I'm, uh, there's uh, on my website. There's a way to to contact me and has some of my uh, options uh, for appearing at conventions. Uh, we love to do the makeup demo. It, it's a nice little show that we put on. They've actually even started doing it at this big Star Trek convention in Las Vegas the last few couple of years or so. John Paladin is, um, I think it was last year or the year before. Uh, actually, I think it was the year before. Um, Casey Biggs came in and John Paladin turned him into uh, Damar from Star Trek Deep Space Nine right in front of everybody. Oh. And wow. everybody thinks this is new, but my makeup artist and I have been doing this since 1998, 1999. Doing demonstrations at conventions. People can come and go as they want because it is a slow process. You know, they can go off and do other things, um, but it's always a crowd pleaser. People like right now, like yourselves, ask questions. It's like a talk show format. Uh, we invite questions during the demonstration. We'll tell the stories about those who, who had fun, those who thought, you know, they knew everything and learned that they didn't uh, about makeup. People will sit there, take notes. It's great. Uh, and I'll basically I'll travel anywhere that we can make a deal, whether it's around the corner in California, out in Las Vegas or in Nevada, all the way across the country to the East Coast. I've been in Germany. I've been in England. You know, I'd love to go anywhere else. If there's Austria, if there's Italy, I know there's conventions. Um, and quite frankly, for a little self-promotion, I'm a lot less expensive than most of the other people out there because I just <laughs> want to get out there and meet the fans and entertain. Very cool. No, so definitely. for anybody who wants to actually do something like that how do they get started in it get started in in doing being a monster that's a really good question because i'll tell you right now uh there are a lot of 
shows like Star Trek Picard, they've been using a lot of aliens. You've got to be in an area, first of all, where they're going to do that type of work. Like if you live down in Georgia, you could have been on Walking Dead. I know a couple of people that were key zombies, professional zombies on that oh, on that Amy would have loved that. <laughs> yeah, and and that would have you know better if you're in that area. Uh, yeah, if you were down in Texas while they were doing the remake of Texas Chainsaw, you could have gotten in on a lot of the special effect characters that they were doing, you know, with the blood and the horror and everything else. You've got to be in the right place first of all, but if you know for starting out especially with the ability and the quality of camera phones these days. You can start with your own little fan films, make, write your own scripts, create your own video reels, create your own resume. Uh, you'll see a lot of people on IMDb that have a, seemingly a lot of credits, but they're all their own projects, but it's getting them noticed. This is a day and age with online social media and everything. You can, you can become your own star. We have people that are TikTok stars. They aren't anything else. The Cardassians invented how to be famous without being famous. Mm -hmm. You're famous just for the fact that you have become an uh, icon in front of the American public. Very true. Well, for those who want to learn more about you, go to alienactor.com, correct? Um, yes. And, I have that posted on... Twitch, They're welcome. YouTube, and Facebook. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is, you know, look up Bill Blair. Uh, the handle on both Twitter and uh, Instagram is Bill Blair for real. That's the number four and real R-E-E-L. Bill Blair for real. Okay, gotcha. I was trying to find you when I was posting about today. So it's Bill <laughs> Blair, the number four, and R-E-E-L. There we go. Awesome. He found it. Yep. <laughs> I'm not, I don't do a lot on Twitter. It looks, oops, looks like you got two I's instead of an I-L-L on that when you typed it. Looked like B-I-I-L. Yeah, actually. Make sure it's Bill Blair for real, R-E-E-L. But Instagram, Twitter, I don't do as much on, on Twitter, uh, but every once in a while, I, I definitely follow probably more than I than I tweet. Uh, but uh, as things go on, you know, it's fun. There you go. And uh, for those that are still with us, thanks for your questions. If you have others, please feel free to go on to Facebook, friend request. Um, I'm happy there's there's a fan page for Bill Blair and there's also my personal page. So if you see two of them, I have not been hacked. I actually have two. Um, and I, I'm happy. I'm, I'm retired for the most part. Um, I still get a few film offers now and then, but nothing that's been, you know, a deal made. But I just, I love talking with the fans. They're the ones that have gotten me where I'm at. If people don't watch what I'm on, I don't have the great job that I've always had. So I'm grateful and thankful to all the people, all the fans. who have, Some have become very good friends of mine that have supported and watched me throughout the years. And uh, I've enjoyed talking to you folks and, and giving you all these stories. And uh, we could go on and on and on if you want. <laughs> we could, we, we are talkers and we are <laughs> listeners. But I do a little bit of both, but that's okay. I do want to thank you for being on our show today. Oh, you're Definitely. welcome. And I'm a Pleasure fan. So, oh, I have another question really quick. <laughs> sure. So, when we did SciFiCon, I got to interview Tim Ross as well as Patricia Tallman. So I had like major fangirl moments going on. <laughs> Is there any particular actor or actress that you had a fan guy moment with? Well, not in the sense of where I've had people come up and like fangirl all over and want to throw hugs around me and everything else and apologize for it later. No. But no, I meant um, you yourself. But for my, no, that type of a thing for me, no. But I had a very, very touching personal moment with Robin Williams when I was working on Birdcage. Oh, he was one of my favorites. Mm. And um, it really hit me a bit when he passed away. Uh, I don't want to say I sensed anything, but even on Birdcage, things were going on. But mm -hmm. what was going on with me at the time 
was my father passing away while it literally was passing away while I was working on a show. I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And at the end of the first week, my mother said, if you don't come home now, you won't see him again in this life. So I went to the, uh, the directors, the producers, assistant directors, casting people that brought me there and said, I'm sorry, but my father's dying. I need to go home. I can't be here next week. Mm-hmm. And I got a little bit of back talk about it. Like, Oh, don't give us your dog ate your homework that you can't be here kind of a thing. I happened to catch Robin Williams in the parking lot outside the stages while we were on a break. And I literally just walked up to him, extended my hand. I said, I am so pleased and honored to be here working with you on this. And it pains me that I have to be gone. I cannot come back next week as originally scheduled because my father is near death. And he just looked me square in the eye, held my hand even tighter, looked me square in the eye and said, you go home. That's family. This is just a movie. It had only been two years prior to that that he'd lost his father, I guess. Mm. He said, we'll work this. And when I watched the finished product, yeah, they worked around me just fine. You wouldn't even know I was missing. Um, but that was, that was my personal sense, my own moment of, yeah, I was a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he is this comedian. He is this very out there, gregarious type of personality. And then for that moment would come down to very base earth and have that moment with me. It was only two minutes, but it meant the world to me and something I would never forget. And I will take with me forever. And if I'm lucky, I'll meet him in the next realm again. So I can thank him again. Well, thank you for coming on tonight. It was a real treat to talk to you being a sci-fi geek. I appreciate (laughs) you. Well, hopefully, maybe you can do it again someday. Definitely. Definitely. And for everybody that's been with us the whole time, thank you for staying with us. It's, like I said, our first late night show. So next week, we'll have our regular show on Tuesday, and then we will have John Swayze on, and we're going to be talking Anime Houston. Good night, everybody. Until Tuesday, adios. Bye.